Thanks, Graham. I love that uh, part of the prayer where Graham asked for God's help for us to be great reconcilers. Because reconciliation is tough, isn't it? Have you got a, a memory of a time in your life where it went well? Uh, where maybe it's with an individual and something had been said or something had been done or for whatever reason a relationship has been um, fractured, there's something that's gotten in between you and you've had to work out that thing so that it no longer keeps you apart from that person. Or maybe it's between you and a group of people, um, a group of people you know, or a group of people may, maybe that you've judged from a distance and there's been barriers of misunderstanding or um, a prejudice or whatever it might have been where you've had to work through those issues that kept you separate in your heart as well as uh, practically in your relationship with people. Have you experienced that moment where you reconnect or even connect for the first time with somebody and are able to walk forward in the kind of relationship that Jesus calls us to, where we love one another as ourselves, do you know what the beauty of that moment feels like? The beauty of healing, the beauty of learning to appreciate and benefit from somebody in a way that you haven't before, or that maybe you'd lost for a while. Reconciliation is a really beautiful thing. How many of you have experienced attempts at reconciliation that have gone wrong, that have not gone anywhere? How many of you have faced that moment where you're kind of like, I don't even know if I want to try? Um, because whatever has come up between the relationship or, or the ideas that I have about another group of people are just so strong, I don't know if I want to do anything about that stuff. Reconciliation can be difficult. It can be a journey that feels like it's going through a whole bunch of minefields. Uh, it can raise all kinds of issues for us and it can feel like you're going round and round in circles. I mean, we know what these experiences are like in community and in our own lives, don't we? I've got a bit of a story, uh, which is one of my favourite stories about reconciliation gone wrong. And the reason it's one of my favourite stories is uh, because it wasn't the end of the story, uh, the bit that I'll tell you, um, but it also shows my kind of uh, dorky seriousness as a, as a young follower of Jesus because I was very sincere in wanting to do the right thing. I just had to learn, like all of us, what that actually looks like in practice. So let me tell you what happened in this particular situation. I was quite young. I don't know how young. It was a very long time ago. But I was a child uh, living at home with family and uh, somebody was giving a communion talk like we've just uh, experienced uh, today, a communion talk which was about reconciliation. Um, but in this particular communion talk, some verses were put on, not on the screen, we didn't have them back then, but uh, we, we looked at them in our Bibles and uh, these are the verses from Matthew chapter 5. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and sister or sister and then come and offer your gift. And uh, as that was shared and talked about in, on that particular Sunday, it was very clear to me, even as a young boy, that God cared about how I was relating to other people. Um, and just as Jesus is communicating in the story to the group he's speaking to, he didn't want people to think that it was okay to worship God and to think that you were fine with God if you were not fine with other people. Uh, if, if there was issues between you, um, rather than just bowling on and worshiping God as you would normally, sort that out as an expression of your love for God and your integrity in doing what God wants and then you can come and worship God with a purity of heart and spirit and uh, engage fully in your worship life in that way. 
Um, and so Jesus was kind of helping people at that time to see um, you can't kind of be hypocritical about this. You can't say, no, no, I'm all good with God. Look, I bring these offerings and I do all the religious things. If you're not treating people well, if there's stuff going on between you and people, that's part of your relationship with God. They can't be separated. So I'm hearing a, somebody lead into communion just by reminding us of just what God has done to bring us into his family, the relationship we enjoy with God, and that's got to flow over into our relationships with people. And I'm aware, you know what, I've got something in between me and literally my sister, which is not real good. Um, I was very mean in the car. Uh, a fight broke out. I don't know what it was about. Um, something silly, fights between siblings usually are. Um, and I said some mean things and um, you know, the rest of the trip was in that kind of awkward silence and it just hadn't been addressed since then. So. I'm now old enough to take communion, I want to take communion, but I know that according to the Bible, I shouldn't just kind of carry on with my relationship with God and leave this relationship with my sister in the state that it's in. So I do something remarkably cool. There we were in the front row of church, me, my mum, my sister, me feeling that burden of a guilty conscience saying communion's about to come around in just a few minutes and I, oh, I really want to take it, but I know I can't. So I lean over my mum with my hand out, literally like this. I'm sorry for what I said in the car. Do you forgive me? Thinking that she will shake my hand. It will all be sorted out. I can have communion in good conscience and everything is exactly what Jesus wanted it to be. Um, I sorted out the problem, reconciled, can go ahead in my relationship with God. Your reaction seems to indicate that you don't think my plan was very good. And sure enough, it wasn't. And my mum saw what was going on and said, uh, let's just talk about this at home. We've got, we got something deeper to talk about here. Um, was my sister ready to be reconciled in that moment, do you think? Not really. Uh, how did she feel about our fight? What did I say to her in that moment that she want, might want to revisit? Say, but you said this. And that was hurtful. Did I need to hear something back from her about what had happened in that situation? Were there heart issues that I had that caused me to treat her in that way that weren't going to be sorted out by just leaning over and saying, hey, let's shake on this? Um, were there some things that I needed to grapple with about pride or selfishness or just having a bad temper or, or whatever it might have been that actually needed a little bit of processing time? Was there something I needed to do to repair the damage? Some practical thing to demonstrate that I genuinely was sorry. You see, in that moment, I didn't recognise it. I thought I was taking the command of Jesus and obeying it very literally in that moment, doing the right thing. And genuinely, I wanted to. I was sincere in that. But I didn't realise that at the same time I was also being selfish. At the same time I was also being insensitive and just unwise in how I actually pursued what Jesus was inviting us to pursue. I thought I was being brave and obedient there in church, sorting it out. Christianity 101, A grade, there we go. It wasn't. It wasn't the heart of what Jesus was talking about when it comes to reconciliation. And you know what? It's not the only time in my life where I've actually tried to reconcile too quickly without fully appreciating the journey that reconciliation often involves. Dealing with the hard issues, there we go, that cause relationships to fracture is not simple and it's not speedy. Usually can't be solved by just leaning over and saying, hey, sorry, let's shake. It's usually not solved by saying things like, can't you just get over it? It was in the past. Uh, reconciliation usually requires a journey, a journey that there needs to be a willingness to take. 
a journey that goes into places that sometimes we might be a little bit reticent to go. But dealing with hard issues that cause relationships to fracture is never simple and it's never speedy. We're going to dive into Matthew 23 as we pick up the story of Jesus uh, dealing with religious leaders, uh, the same religious leaders that he was speaking to back in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and I won't recap all that we've done as we've journeyed through Matthew 23 over the last month or so. So uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, you might think, what have I just jumped into? Because you're partway through a conversation. Uh, it'll make sense as we unpack it together, uh, as we discuss it. But let's uh, begin with reading from Matthew 23, from verse 23. And just to give you a very quick um, kind of update, Jesus is in the middle of a confrontation. He's in the middle of rebuking people for what's going on in their hearts. This is what he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint, dill and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but gulp down a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs which appear beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of the bones of, de of the dead and every kind of impurity. In the same way, on the outside, you seem righteous to people, but inside, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He's not pulling any punches, is he? He's getting right to the heart of really what's going on for these guys. And we could delve into kind of the imagery that he uses and the specific behaviours that he identifies, but what it comes down to is this. There's a showy kind of obedience, a very superficial kind of obedience, which even for me as a young fellow leaning across and saying, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Well, that fulfils what the Bible says. We're supposed to confess. We're supposed to say sorry. We're supposed to ask for forgiveness. That's actually part of what God requires, but it ignored a whole lot of other things that are actually what God wants in relationship to, things that actually touch the issues of the heart. And what Jesus is saying for these religious leaders is you're really good at the showy aspects of obeying God's law, the things that you can do while at the same time having a whole lot of junk in your heart and getting away with it. You can be selfish, you can be proud, you can be intolerant, you can be intemperant, you can be lazy, you can be all kinds of things and still very carefully divide up your mint and your dill and your cumin and, and give some as an offering at the temple and still put on your nice robes and go and pray on the street corners and still um, do all of those external showy things like being very sure every time you come back from the marketplace you carefully clean the containers just to show, hey, if I got contaminated by any unclean things, I've purified my home and we're all good with God. You can do all of those things that were elements of your religion and just be the same at the end of that process as you were at the beginning, full of junk in your heart that has not been sorted out. And Jesus uses that very vivid Im imagery of like, like a tomb where the outside looks fantastic, but the inside is full of dead people's bones. What's going on on the inside is not okay. So, just like with me when I was a young child, doing it in all sincerity, 
Jesus is actually offering a gift to these guys. There's more to religion than that. There's more to the commands of God than that. You can actually be transformed as people by what God has to say in his word. You can be changed so that the way that you treat others and the way that you relate to God is genuinely coming together in intimacy and enjoying all the good things that God wants and not continuing along in the cycle of damage that you are currently caught up in. But we need to ask ourselves a question. What matters more to us? Is it the approval, the respect, the recognition, the status, the acceptance, all of that stuff that comes from having everything right on the outside? Or do we genuinely want to take a journey where we're grappling with the issues that are going on on the inside. See, it's easier to get caught up on appearance than it is to care about substance. It's easier to kind of make things look good on the outside than it is to deal with who you are on the inside and to truly grapple with that stuff. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy to look good on the outside because there are plenty of people in this world who feel like, you know what, no matter what I do, I'm never going to be good enough. You know, that's just the reality for many, many people. For these guys, that wasn't their reality. They were patting each other on the back and saying, you're so much better than those people out there. But it's going to look different for all of us. But we all tend to get caught up on the outside stuff, either positively or negatively. Our real battle is on the inside. You see, love, which is what Jesus had been talking about in chapter 22, the very love that underpinned that father's heart for his son who returned, love when we love God with all that we are and love others as ourselves, that can't coexist with greed. Can't. Love can't coexist with pride. Love can't coexist with uh, bad temper, with um, careless words, with all of those things that kind of poison our hearts and, and our activity toward others. Love drives that stuff out. So if we're allowing God to produce love in us, it's going to deal with all of that junk that would otherwise be contaminating us. But if we're okay, just continuing as we are and not allowing the love of God to change who we are on the inside, we'll continue in those behaviours that cripple our lives. Uh, the story goes on. After dealing with this uh, element of, hey guys, you've got to be prepared to look inside and not continue just looking at the outside of things. This is what Jesus says. Why do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? You build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say... If we'd lived in the days of our ancestors, we wouldn't have taken part with them in shedding the prophet's blood. So you testify against yourselves that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your ancestors' sins. Snakes, brood of vipers, how can you escape being contemned to hell? This is why I am sending you prophets, sages and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Some of them you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. So all the righteous blood shed on the earth will be charged to you. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I tell you, all these things will come on this generation. What's Jesus pointing out there? Have you ever noticed that we have a tendency to say, you know what, if I was back then, I wouldn't have done what my ancestors did. Has anyone kind of ever had that? Well, we know better now. I wouldn't have made those mistakes. Or have you ever looked at what a group over there is doing and saying, you know what, those guys, they are thugs. Or those people, they are so arrogant. Or those people, they are so depraved. Those people, they are so immoral. And we tend to look out there at the errors of others and say, if I was in that situation, I wouldn't do what those people are doing. Or I wouldn't have done what those people did. There's a tendency to assume the worst 
of others and the best of ourselves. To notice the worst in others and the best in ourselves, that just seems to be something about how many of us are wired. And certainly the leaders of uh, Jesus' day, they were like that. They look back in their history and they said, you know what, we can see how time and time again God sent prophets to say, come back to me, stop worshipping those idols, stop being so unjust in your treatment of the poor and the oppressed and the aliens among you and so on. And, and these prophets were so often persecuted for daring to speak truth into those situations. They were so often killed. And these religious leaders are saying, yeah, but we wouldn't have done that. You know, we're, we're very serious about doing what God says we ought to do. And the incredible irony of that is, if you remember the story, Jesus has just come into the temple. He's exposed all of these things that are going terribly wrong with their worship of God, their injustice toward the poor and the oppressed, their, their selfishness, their greed, the corruption of their worship, where they look like they're worshipping God, they're really worshipping money, exactly like those prophets of old used to do. And what are they doing right at this moment in response? They're plotting to kill him. So no matter what they say about what they would or wouldn't do, in the moment, they are just doing what all of their ancestors did in the same situation. People are just people. It's one of the most important lessons we learn in life. It's easy to look at what people do and rightly be outraged at the worst of human behaviour. But this is a, a fact that we all need to grapple with. People, when it comes down to it, are just people. And our storylines may be different, but we must never think that if we weren't part of the same story, that we might not have ended up doing exactly the same sorts of things that other people do. In that uh, reading, it talked about uh, from Abel to Zechariah that uh, these religious leaders had persecuted those who are righteous. I don't know if you're familiar with what those stories are. It's re really convenient in the English language because uh, it's from Abel, letter A, to Zechariah, letter Z. Um, it's kind of like from A to Z, you just persecute everybody who speaks up against uh, the evil or shows in their conduct that what you are doing is not right. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, uh, it's actually arranged a bit different to ours. first book is the same as uh, what's in our Bibles, the book of Genesis. But in the order of books in the Hebrew uh, Scriptures, the last book in their Scriptures is actually Second Chronicles. Right? For us, it's Malachi. Um, and so the story of Abel, that's a story early on in which book? Book of Genesis. The story of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, is uh, right toward the end of 2 Chronicles. So as Jesus, talking to these people who are experts in these religious writings, he says, right from the beginning of the story to the end of the story, our people have always responded this way. Whenever God has rebuked them for the stuff that's going on in their heart that's causing evil behaviour, they've always responded defensively and then gone on the offence and persecuted those who have spoken into the sin that's been in their lives. Time and time and time again. And you guys are doing it again. You are caught up in this exact same pattern. This is your story. This is what you know. And this is where, where even though you think that you'll be different, you're not different. You continue the same pattern that you were born into. On Wednesday, I had a, a great conversation with somebody who's uh, actually coming across to WA toward the end of June. Uh, she works in the area of freeing uh, people from sexual slavery. Fantastic Christian uh, organisation that's making a massive difference in the lives of many people and families uh, in places in the world where there's not the kind of protections that we have here in Australia, but they're even doing work here in Australia. Why? Because even with all the systems we have, it still goes on. 
Um, and it was just so uplifting to know that there is somebody who's getting, uh, seeking to reconcile people to God and to one another in healthy ways where sin has caused people to, one, think that God's not interested in them, that there is no God, there's no one out there who loves them, that they're just an object to be abused and taken advantage of. Um, wonderful opportunity for, for me to have a chat with her and to look forward to her sharing with us. And then on Thursday, I actually had a morning tea with a different organisation and with some pastors from around the city talking about the same issue and hearing from this organisation about the amazing work that they're doing in, in the um, space of actually going in and raiding places. So they'll work in a whole bunch of countries around the world uh, where they will come in as tourists and they'll use local people and they'll go to establishments day after day after day, day week after week, build relationships, um, find a, the best opportunity where law enforcement can come in and rescue these boys and girls from situations where they're being exploited in slavery and in sexual slavery. Wonderful ministry. Um, so exciting to know that Christians are responding to the truth of the gospel in caring enough about other people to want to do good for them in these ways. So I'm driving home from having had this meeting, and again, I'm so pumped to be part of a network of followers of Jesus who are making a positive difference in the world. And then I hear about a report that was released. Still makes me a little bit teary to even acknowledge it. Um, one of the major denominations in the US, the, the Southern Baptist Convention, just had a report released about sexual abuse within their own church structures and how people in positions of power have known about that but not sufficiently acted to address the problem. And it's heartbreaking, but if I were to point the, the finger over to those guys and say, how could they stuff up so badly? I'd be doing exactly what these religious leaders do because I recognise that we all struggle. It's part of the human story. We're good at spotting the problems out there and even doing something to help about it. But do we notice where it's going wrong in our communities and what we're a part of facilitating? And it's horrifying when you see it and you go, oh man, how could we have let that happen? It's humbling. It's devastating. And that's what Jesus is doing with these guys. So you're pointing the finger out there, but you've allowed it to happen in your life and in your community. And as leaders, you're accountable. We're a part of a bigger story, whether we like it or not. And we're shaped by our heritage, whether we like it or not. And where there is sin and dysfunction, which is a part of every human story and every human community, we're a part of that story too, whether we want to be or not. And that's got great things to it. We perpetuate a lot of great things. Like the, the Southern Baptist Convention, yeah, that's gone badly wrong for them, like it has for the Roman Catholic Church and a whole bunch of different organisations. But there's a lot of good going on there, much more good than there is bad, I would imagine. But at the same time, we've got to recognise that there is both. We can celebrate the good and uphold it and say, thank you, Lord, for that, as it's at the same time as saying, but God, please help us deal with this. We've got to take that seriously. Are we going to be serious about the story that we are a part of? Are we going to assume that our story is fine, it's all the other stories that are wrong? Or are we going to be humble enough to say, no, I think God probably needs to work in my story too? This is a part of the journey of reconciliation. You see, we can't be people who are agents of reconciliation in the world if we're not prepared to look at our own story, our own lives, our own communities, and say, what does God need to do in us in order to make us agents of his love and his truth for others? Jesus finishes like this. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right now, those leaders in Jerusalem and in the coming days, the city as a whole, are rejecting Jesus. They're turning away from the one who is actually giving them the chance to let God cleanse them, to heal them, to reconcile them, first to himself, then to each other. To deal with the junk in their lives, like pride, like greed, like laziness, like selfishness, like all of those things that you and I have in our lives as well, in order to be truly right with God and right with one another. But their posture has been to fight against Jesus. No, you can't be the Messiah. No, we're not going to accept you. So what's our posture going to be? When it comes to reconciliation, it always starts with God. We want to go from people who by our very nature fight against God to those who, as Albert mentioned earlier, are able to repent and say, you know what, I realise my life's gone in this direction and I've allowed it to become full of junk. I actually want to come back to the one who can forgive and restore, heal and cleanse. And that's not a decision we make once in life. It is a decision we make in order to become a follower of Jesus. That's the decision that we must come to. We accept our condition. You know, I've sinned. I've fallen short of God's glory. I've gone my own way. I accept that's my starting point. But I believe in Jesus. I believe that his death for me paid the price for my sin. I believe his resurrection proved that he really is God and he can give me eternal life. And I commit to now following him. And putting him first. It's the ABCs of what it means to be a Christian. We accept, we believe, we commit. But you don't just do that once. You then continue and that becomes your normal. And when God shows up, like for me, sitting about to take communion, you know what, Mike, there's a problem. We don't just kind of deal with it flippantly or superficially. We say, okay, God, what do you need to do in my heart? What are some things that I need to turn around from? What are some things that I maybe have even inherited that I don't want to continue and perpetuate? How can I be a force for your good in the world? That's a really good journey to be on. And when we see relationships changing because the way we interact with people, the way we think about people, the way we treat people is changing, it's beautiful. It's got to start with receiving that from God, who, while we were yet sinners, reconciled us to himself. And then we have that posture to those who are around us. Let's pray.